So uh, yeah, we're just we're just starting off. No fancy intro or anything. Uh, here in the studio, Michael Astor. This would be Life Unraveled, episode thirteen. How you doing, dude? I'm doing great. Man, good to be here. I know, right? It's been good. I probably talked to you a lot about the podcast for like a year, huh? <laughs> like just because I was really wanted to do it. And uh, you're, uh, I think we're like thirty episodes. Not, a, I think I've done a few solo ones, but most of them been guests. So appreciate you coming on. No problem, man. Happy to talk. Yeah. Uh, so we were just as to mention to you about the fights last night. Uh, have you been following anything about Mackenzie Dern? I've heard the name. I don't okay, know I got this her. whole video I want you to see. It's called the evolution of Mackenzie Dern. Mackenzie Dern's accent. That is where she popped up in the headlines at something. Yes, about her. there's there's a, a controversy. Well, she's yes, and it's like got people clicking her name. Like, well, what was that that happened with Madonna? There was like a a a, a time where she just developed a, a British accent all of a sudden. I wonder if it was when she was with Guy Ritchie. Yeah, just like she just started showing up at interviews speaking like she was from London. It, it's crazy too. I just okay, I need to type in accent. I was like, I just tapped in Mackenzie Dern. Okay, the evolution of Mackenzie Dern. So she, her her dad is Megaton Diaz, who is a total savage. He's fought in in like every world's ever since the first one, like jiu-jitsu. in like '96, I think Not was MMA. the first. Yeah, jujitsu. Oh. So, uh, come on, what's going on here? Oh, I muted it so I wouldn't get feedback. So she has this. So we're watching this video called "The Evolution of Mackenzie Dern's Accent." So she, she, when she's like sixteen, she talks like this Valley girl. Like she speaks fluent English. What's this kind of? Perfect English. And granted, her dad is uh, Portuguese. Cora's trained with this girl. Oh, really? Yeah, she fought last night and uh, won a split decision against this girl named Ashley Yoder. I think it's Ashley. Yoder. 2012. It has it by year, dude. Origin immersion camp. Twenty thirteen. It's like that's my. She, it, it it keeps getting better. Twenty fourteen. Here's here's where it really starts, dude. She took me down. He took me down. What is that? What is going on? What is that? She's going to be dropping her E's and her L's. Oh, it's getting better. I know that. I know that. 2017.
Yeah, so this is the number one conversation everybody's having when they bring up Mackenzie Dern's name. I wanted to talk about it. Who does it remind me of? It reminds me of... Uh... <laughs> what the hell, Alex Jones? <laughs> I know who you are. <laughs> so who is the crazy guy that will show up with Eddie Bravo and challenge people and pretend like he's going to get in fights with them? And he oh, plays up um, the Brazilian accent really, really La- hard. La- Rafael Laranha, uh, I think it is. I need to turn this off. Yeah, yeah. he does the. Uh, he'll switch the R's and the H's like yeah. on every single word. That's yeah. what that reminds me of. I don't know what's going on with that woman, but that's definitely. Yeah, she's definitely. Well, okay, so she has been to Brazil a few times. She was. She did have this Brazilian boyfriend named Taquinho. No, that's Paul Harris's name. Paul Harris. Yeah, I can't remember his Paul name, <laughs> but she had this Brazilian boyfriend. Her dad's, uh, her dad's from Brazil, and I mean, she does speak fluent Portuguese and fluent English, apparently. So she speaking more Portuguese theoretically could have to do with that and being to Brazil a few times. But it's like she's, as far as I know, lived in the United States her whole life. But she's been immersed in the Brazilian jiu-jitsu lifestyle. Where's she training culture. at? I, I'm, I'm pretty sure she still trains out of uh, Arizona. Hmm. So that's where their school's at. I think it's in Phoenix. But Megaton Diaz is a total savage, and his daughter is pretty savage too. She got a sick Alma Plata win. Um, and uh, I think, was it Legacy? I think it was in Legacy, that promotion that Cora fought on. Mm-hmm. So super sick. Um, here, I'll, I'll throw it up real quick, actually, because you will appreciate it. But um, so... Mackenzie Dern. See, what I'm trying to do, uh, I don't, did I tell you I signed up for this podcasting masterclass? So I did. You've seen those, like, them uh, advertising those masterclasses for people for different things, like writing and, like, like Martin Scorsese did one for directing. So did Ron Howard. Um, Steve Martin did one for comedy. The, like a seminar, it's, like a two-day seminar. It's thing. like it's, it's like seven hours of content on like how Adam Carolla. So like, and this like kind of helps you like with some goals. Hey, so like now one of my number one goals is to do five podcasts a week, mm-hmm. right? Whether it's guests. So I did two. I did one Friday. I did one yesterday. We're doing this one today. Um, and then I'm going to do, I've got like a couple of solo reviews I'm throwing up. So I'm just going to stay on. I'm trying to get set up to do like my history podcast in my office. Mm-hmm. I'm getting a portable digital recorder and a condenser mic that I can basically have. I could use a condenser mic in the studio for multiple guests so like last night. So like I don't want to invest in like a fourth setup, mm-hmm. like a fourth set of, or fourth mic stand headphone, studio headphones because that's like probably 250 bucks. Mm-hmm. And it not and I can't take it out of here, but like a blue yeti microphone, we can just take these mics off, cool. yeah, They're we could take cool. these mics off if we wanted, set it in the center of the table when we're doing four people, and we'll be good, yeah. you know, and uh, I, but then I'd still run it through my computer, but I'm also looking at like I'm trying to figure out how to go with like a live stream broadcasting system. I'm just now learning about it. So, so like when I'm like pulling stuff like like this, like we get it in the headphones, it doesn't record, but it actually kind of sucks for the audience in a way. Yeah. Um, Because they don't get to see it, and I'm not going to edit it in after the fact because that takes forever. But, uh, you know, that, um, I think this is it. Well, you've always got the YouTube live. 
Yeah, exactly. So, but you do, like, I need, like, a little um, system to do that. And I'm trying to get set up to where, like, whatever I pull up on the computer or, or, or like, whatever we're seeing on the TV pops up into the uh, video that's getting recorded. So I'm trying to figure out how to do it. So watch this, dude. So this girl's going to kind of, like, she ends up getting her basically in, like, this weird crucifix version of this. So here... I believe she rolls right here. So, see that? Like it's Jeez. like a like a a crucifix Alma Plata. Yeah, what do you think about that, dude? That is gnarly. We're, we're watching Mackenzie Dern versus uh, Montana. I think was that that girl's name? In Legacy. She set that up with Rubber Guard, right? Uh, let's back it up. Or like half a rubber guard. Um, have we worked very much rubber guard? I've been working uh, quite a bit of it. See, they're talking about Megaton right there. I've been working quite a bit of it with Brent, who I'm working with a little bit today. We're going to film. So. Yeah, that's a dominant. Yeah, it is, dude. That's a pretty cool little transition. I've hit something like that before. So, uh, <clears throat> but uh, yeah, anyway, that's a couple of relevant uh, con uh, topics was we just, you know, watched that fight last night. Mackenzie Dern fought. She was the last fight on the undercard. So I thought she was on the main card, but she wasn't. I don't know if they bumped her or if she ever was. I could have just been um, seeing her at the top spot of the prelims or uh, the undercard rather. So, um, but yeah, fights were good. This is a guy named Sean O'Malley. He's a total gangster. Uh, he fought and like broke his foot in the third round. And then, um, Frankie Edgar for the first time in his career got finished, dude. Who beat him? This guy named Brian Ortega who trains out like, um, Henry Gracie's. Yeah. I know that guy. Crazy. Uh, Aaron Morris has trained with Brian Ortega, uh, one of our, one of our blue belts. Who um, he's a vanishing blue belt. Yeah, I was about to say I hadn't seen him. I in hope you listen to this, Aaron. He's actually <laughs> going to come over with this historian guy that he knows uh, that works at Tech, and we're going to do a craft beer podcast where we just drink nice. craft beer. Yeah, pretty cool. And it gets more interesting as the podcast goes on. Yeah, I know. you guys. I know it'll be all like the Toffer podcast, <laughs> <laughs> dude. That got out of hand. No, I didn't, but it was a good time. It was the smallest bottle of Crown. Well, uh, so. There's a lot of talk going on about these crisis actors, okay? So, and that's a controversial uh, topic to use, actually. So, I think the best way to, um, that I would like to put that uh, is uh, coached. They were coached. There's definitely coaching. Yes. I mean, there's just, there's a rhetoric. There's this, there's these anti-Trump lines being preached. There's uh there's just things that, and two, there's like an, I don't know why, um, and I'm not saying that, that this shooting didn't happen, that we let it happen or anything like that. I don't, I can, I can only speculate about anything like that, but that like there were 3000 students at that school. They chose like really two main ones that the girl with the shaved head and then the mm-hmm. kid, David mm-hmm. Hogg, um, to, to be the spokespeople out of 3000 people. And it's like, they, they, 
I haven't seen them demonstrate any lines of uh, any signs of trauma, and it looks like they're reading from a teleprompter. Yeah, and I've seen some outtake videos too. And I mean, I'm not trying to pump crazy conspiracies. I did accidentally text one of my mentors last weekend because I went down this LBJ rabbit hole, and then YouTube autoplay snuck up and just screwed me. And it was like, hey, uh, here's this guy Roger Stone, and he says that LBJ killed John F. Kennedy. Here's his book, and he's going to talk about it. And I was like, I'm like texting Woods. I'm like, dude, have you heard of this? You like, told me about that. What do you think about this? And he's like, bro. And then like the next day, I was like, hey, uh, sorry for texting you on Sunday about LBJ <laughs> killing John Kennedy. Took the piss out of but me uh, it's just conspiracy. So there are a bunch of people like Roger Stone that have worked in, in various administrations in the White House that um, have made careers off of the insider information that they mm -hmm. have but it's like um like what woods was saying it's like kind of them pre preying on the unknowable right you know like people pe people mo more people than not can't live with not knowing so that's where these conspiracy theories come in i actually am interested in doing a spot on like the history of conspiracies and this would be one we would have to talk about it's like right. all these recent ones there's the vegas like and so and I, I don't know what is it factions in the media what what is your take on that whole situation well i look at like well when when does it show up what do they pay attention to what do they run in the news it's like we don't talk about chicago we don't talk about detroit we don't talk about like the numbers of people getting gunned down in chicago or suicides than, that's or, like an unfair representation one. of the numbers and, um, you know, like I have my concealed carry and I'm actually about to re get uh, recertify and I'm doing, um, the advanced course with McMillan. Or do you need recertification anytime soon? I, I did mine like a year ago. Yeah. So, um, where, who'd you do your, Hubbard, Philip Hubbard. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I use Bradley, Alan Bradley and Philip Hubbard and, and then McMillan. Yeah. Yeah. He's now. just getting into it. So he's coming on the podcast on Friday. And uh, he's going to talk about some of the same stuff. And, I mean, I, I'm not trying to uh, <laughs> talk about um, – I mean, it, and, at, like, here's the thing. Like, we are uh, we are a, a government that is not going to give super small factions of, of uh, any minority tons of power, right. uh, traditionally speaking. But I feel like that's a lot of what's being pushed, and I'm all for civil rights and, and, and individual rights and people being kind of just like allowed to do their own thing and, you know, hopefully right. not judged by society too much and, and persecuted or, you well, know. Well, that's the thing about society. It's like every society has an element of tyranny to it. That's why it's a society. I well, mean, there yeah. has to be a certain amount of pressure, but – there also has to be this idea where you're trying to walk that line where there's enough liberty that people can pursue the things that they want to pursue, where you don't make it. Because that's the, what I see when you're talking about the groups. It's like they've set it up like it's a, it's a, it's a victim hierarchy. And the, the more victimized you are, the more we should listen to you. Yeah. Something like Even that. Even though it's a small percentage. So, like, what's crazy on, on statistics speaking, that when they're doing these gun deaths— a very, 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 very high percentage of gun deaths in this country are due to suicide. So that's like a whole other issue. And then you, know? you look at the direct correlation. Not only that, but the who is suiciding. It's, well, I think I mentioned this to you maybe a week ago or something like this, that 
from ages, I want to say, I don't remember if it's in the teens to the early 40s, something around that, that section of young men, the highest cause of death for them is suicide. And when I read that, I, you know, of course, it's, it's cited and it's, it's legitimate and everything. I looked into it. It's not just clickbait. But uh, there's an, I, I don't, you never hear that mentioned. But when we have the school shooting, you know, or a Sandy Hook situation, it's like it's nonstop in the media and people are jumping all over it. And then they're pointing at kids saying that these traumatized children are the ones, these tra- traumatized children are the ones that we should be listening to on how we are going to shape our policy for a country. I mean, that's crazy to me. Yeah, it, I don't like how uh, they're being used as a mouthpiece. And I think that um, that's that is a common theme, too. It's like um, and look, that's. uh there, look, you can. Uh, there, I saw a meme floating around on the on the internet that was like, "Oh, you know, like if you're going to raise the gun age to 21, raise the voting age to 21." Yeah, why is it that you can decide how a country is going to be run with your vote, essentially? Yeah, exactly. But you're not, and that's another thing that really bothers me is like the the handguns, for instance. Like, say you're you're say you have a daughter, she gets to where she's 19, she's going to move out, she's going to college, whatever it is, she's not legally able to buy a handgun. To protect herself. Yeah. I think, I mean, if if you're at the age for men, for example, 18, you have to, uh, you know, be registered for the draft in case we get in a situation. Yeah, and that's an, uh, yeah, you, you can defend your country and, and fire an AR for yeah, yeah. 50 cal or something, but you... Uh, right. ...feed for a second on the computer. I don't know why. But uh, we're back on, uh, and uh, we've got constant feed on the video, so we're good. Um, how many NRA members does the... So, like, what I'm doing here on my computer, I'm trying to get this to record for the audience on YouTube. Right. Uh, and there's a few ways to do that. And then, then my next goal is multi-camera angles, so like a shot on your face, shot on my face, and a shot of the table. Mm-hmm. Um, how many members in the RA 2017... Uh, this says 14 million. That so that's, a that's little a little, more. that's a little more. I was like, damn, 5 million. That's insane. Like that is a pretty small number of people. Uh, I thought it would be more than that. Another podcast with the audio popped off a few times. It was the Hicks and Gracie, uh, mm-hmm. the Tokyo cup review. And, um, I was just thinking about that today. And now it's, I was like, man, that was so weird. And then I was, cause that's the podcast I've done that I got the most views. But, uh, anyway, what, where were we at before? You were talking about how Dana was getting just completely, well, she said that she had to have security and that they actually were like rushing the stage. Yeah, they were being, and you know, I guess, you know, CNN didn't, that's not where the cameras are. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're keeping it on the people that are on the stage and then they pan out to the audience once in a while. But she said that, that, uh, it was. It, it she's she's was basically saying it seemed like they tailored the event with a specific set of people. This yeah. wasn't like just like hey, let's kind of get a do, sample. Do group. you know? Um, do you know anything on that Parkland shooting about there being active shooter drills at the school that day? That's I, something I kept hearing I about, heard but there I was couldn't a drill, verify. But I thought it was a fire drill. I may be wrong on that. But, but they were had been doing active shooter drills or were supposed to but have I, one. I had heard that one of the one of the kids mentioned that the, they thought Multiple this is for real because 
we already had a drill earlier today, and they wouldn't do. Yeah, so there. that seems to be where a lot of people are drawn. Like some of the conspiracies is there was this possibility that they had an active shooter drill that day. There was also uh, several students that were interviewed apparently that said there were multiple shooters, and I don't know anything about either one of those things. And then this is a crisis actors conspiracy. But what I think is that they sampled. Um, a couple of kids that were probably, I think they were already in drama and were already kind of, maybe, maybe they were teenage activists, but man, their rhetoric. And then this David Hogg kid, he, um, his dad was tri retired FBI agent and he was, uh, he was saying some stuff like, well, you know, Trump's in charge of the FBI and he, um, uh, you know, they're hard, they're the hardest working people. And like, it was just like, it, it almost was like lobbying or something was going on. It yeah. was like, man, they are really using this kid who was in a school while a shooting happened to be a mouthpiece. Right. But I don't know. I mean, I haven't been looking a ton into the crazy conspiracy. I did do some research and I watched some different reports. I watched a lot of different videos on it. Um, different videos of interviews with those kids that they're using. And it just seems like they're highly coached on pro-FBI. And, and that's because apparently, you know, the FBI was reported to on his YouTube page. That's his YouTube right. page or something like that. Yeah, and they also, if I understand correctly, the uh, see something, say something, they were also contacted by another individual uh, who was worried about Nicholas Cruz. That was independent from the guy who had the YouTube channel who had a video that Cruz posted on. And he said, you know, I want to be a famous uh, school, professional yeah, school yeah. shooter or something like that. And so it, it bothered him enough that he contacted them. And, and I think he said that uh, they sent an agent who came to him and at, like asked him if he knew Cruz. And as, as soon as he found out that he didn't know him, he seemed like he was not interested in following it any further and he said it never heard anything else again yeah so man uh what i get paranoid about is like there was one cop i think it was it, it might not have been at that town hall meeting but it could have been another interview i was watching it was like you know like let's say there's um issues with like crazy people and in the, in the community getting reported for being crazy and they get reported to cops and they, maybe they even get taken into jail a couple of times but it just like they're a, a continual menace to society it's like the cops really don't have the power, and I like almost really that they don't, to do anything a lot of times meaningful until it seems like it's too late, well, until somebody flies idea. off the handle and it's, murders somebody in the community. The idea originally was that you allowed individuals to be able to defend themselves. And so, you know, you weren't, you know, if the police help you, that's great, but you have prepared in such a way that you're not depending on that wholly, you know, because, well, in this situation, for instance, the, the police, the FBI were notified. I think the, the, that, that County's, uh, sheriff's department had been notified something like 30 something times about this kid. You know, yeah, he's exactly. And, and I mean, and it's like, maybe they did some things, but it's like, there are like holes like this girl uh, lady in the town hall meeting was saying it was a really good point it's like you know a lot of states aren't reporting these mental health cases to uh, it's like there's a disconnect between what's getting reported to the system that runs the background check right 
So there's all these holes, gun shows and stuff, and I do believe there needs to be some some reform in some areas but about you know, like the, background checks and stuff like that. About, but it's on a state by state. If you think you're going to keep people from getting the means to harm other people, you know, it's like oh, it's, it's not going to happen. Like you, you, even if you attempted that, the it's like the people that are going to be running those systems is the DMV. Like it's those oh, that type of bureaucracy is what you're saying, dude. I was on unemployment for like 17 months, uh, like uh, so during the recession, like right after mm-hmm. Bush took office when the t- economy totally tanked, I got laid off from work and I was able to draw the maximum amount of unemployment for like 17 months. I went back to college and became a genius <laughs> and started the podcast, but um it's uh, like dealing with those people at the unemployment office was just like, and two, it's kind of like the IRS. Like if you deal with somebody that you don't like dealing with, you'll be like, oh, I got to go. And you call back and get somebody else that's nice and they yeah, take yeah, care yeah. of you, dude. Right. What is but that? That's how, that's how bureaucracy works. You get that. Those are the ones. It's not, I mean, if you want to, it's crazy to me that you can look at the level of incompetence that was going on. Or and maybe it's not that they didn't want to do anything. Maybe they just they they weren't able to fix the problem. And you're saying we need to give them more. We need to give them more authority. We need to give them more ability. When obviously they didn't use the means that they had. Effectively, efficiently. I don't know that that argument. Like it's the same thing that we find. Uh, well, on the far left, for instance, they'll say like, you know, where well, the police are militarized and that's a problem and they're out of control and they're just gunning people down and we've got to put a stop, you know, to the power that they have. And then we have a shooting like this and they come out and they say the only ones that should have guns are cops, you know, mm. so it's. You it's, can't, yeah, I know it's a fine line, and it's like basically that cop was saying, you, we can't we can't intervene, we need the power to intervene, and I'm like, hell no, because here's here's what I think about like a ton of things, and Joe Rogan talks about this a lot, um, but I, it's like I learned it all through uh, college and graduate school, and it's my area of expertise in history, uh, in my own view, it's like the, my number one area of interest, if nothing else. But uh, so have you heard of the um, Gulf of Tonkin incident or Tonkin Gulf resolution? Gulf of Tonkin incident sounds familiar. So that's this incident in which like um, these crazy. um, So have you ever heard of the Pentagon Papers? Uh, So Ellsberg, Mm -hmm. who um, uh, published the Pentagon Papers. He was working at the Pentagon. It's like his first day on the job or something. He starts receiving these crazy uh, correspondence uh, calls from this ongoing operation in Vietnam. There's like, oh, there's all these torpedoes in the water. We're freaking out. We'll come to find out the communication gets cleared up, and it's like, oh, well, you know, maybe nothing happened. Nothing happened. But LBJ, like, um, leveraged that incident to get Congress to pass the – Tonkin Gulf Resolution, which it only had uh, two opposition votes in the House, I believe, and like the Senate passed because like LBJ used to be the, um, the majority um, leader and party whip, so he was like the Frank Underwood of House of Cards. Kevin Spacey, rest yeah, in peace, yeah. your career. Yeah, <laughs> it's okay because he's gay. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. He can be gay now. Yeah. yeah. It's okay. Yeah. Just, yeah. Maybe. Uh, but yeah, that's, um, 
that dude's career. Like, I'm surprised yeah. that, too, like, I know they're going to finish House of Cards, but, like, over the Oh, they the wrote social, in where he get, he's dead. He yeah, yeah. Him, right? yeah. So, but, like, uh, so, like, a lot of these people that were um, accused of uh, sexual harassment, like Steven Seagal, for example, have been, all their stuff's been pulled from, like, HBO and Netflix. I actually didn't know that he had been accused. But 21, and I've seen a few Kevin Spacey movies. Yeah. Dude, Dustin Hoffman was accused. I was like... I did hear about that no. one. Yeah. But, you know... Yeah, it, they, the Bill Cosby. Like, what the... What is... Go, but, you know, I just think that, too, this is stuff that's like the dregs of society's probably always gone on, and because of communication and social media and globalization and uh, awareness and social movements and civil rights, and it's like why well, we're hearing about a lot of this. Another thing is is that there's political motivation with it. Yeah, there indeed. There definitely is, and that's why, that to me, because you keep hearing the same thing. It's like, listen... I watched a really interesting interview where Jerry Seinfeld was saying, you know, it's not the industry. It's not, he was talking, they were asked him about, you know, the comedic industry. Cause you know, it seems like a lot of these high level comedians are getting accused. And he said, well, you know, it's not, yeah, the industry. he said, it's, you know, men and women chase each other. It's always been like that. There's always been, you know, inappropriate stuff going on. It's not like, uh, but it, but it seemed like all of a sudden, though, there's political capital for it. And that's not to say that some of this stuff n- needs to be dealt with, not at all. But you know, I I'm I'm suspicious of some of the intentions, you know, because I know that when when people go to Hollywood, you know, they play the games to get what they want, and then you know, in the instance of someone like Meryl Streep, for instance, who's who's been there for decades, and now she's going to come out and and be this, you know, uh, bastion of virtue when she knew that these things were happening and didn't notify anybody. Well, I mean, she knows that these individuals are preying upon other people. I just, I don't know. So here's another thing. So let me, I want, I want to, I found a a page on this, actually the Wikipedia article, but it has a big, big bibliography and um, I'm looking at it and it looks, um, it looks rather cited. Um, but, uh, and you know, who knows? It may have been debunked, but I think this is a thing. So have you ever heard of the, uh, Mormon sex in chains case? Mm-mm. Okay. So here it is. And I'm gonna make sure my audio hadn't. All right. We're still going. Seems to be like when I click over, but I just had a, a video I was uploading from our, um, uh, podcast last night with the UFC fight companion. Uh, it just was sh- exporting over, so that could have caused on the computer what uh, kicked off my audio. That's why I'm getting a digital recorder to go instead of having the computer. Okay, so the Mormon sex and chains case was a widely reported scandal involving a sexual assault by an American woman, Joyce McKinney, on a young American man uh, who's a Mormon missionary named Kirk Anderson in England. In 1977, according to Anderson, the Mormon man, he had been abducted by McKinney from steps of a church meeting house, chained to a bed and raped. Before the case could be tried, he, uh, she jumped bail and fled to America. So, but it goes on. Like, she ends up kidnapping other people and she like chloroforms them. I'm talking like this, like a straight up story like that misery. Yeah. Um, that, that makes me think of Gacy. Casey was doing that. The but so, like, they were they didn't take it seriously because um, they uh, and then she ended up making all this money in the media. But they didn't take it seriously because they're like, a woman could never rape a man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So it's like it is literally this one-way street of like, well, um, sometimes I feel like men are insensitive or or socially stupid when it comes to women and don't know how to communicate and um, maybe do it inappropriately or maybe it's received inappropriately. And then um, that, uh, that seems like a lot of situations like that. Like uh, I'm just like saying like somebody asking somebody out on a date seems to be like a controversial thing to be trying yeah. to do right now. Yeah. You know, well, one of the things that uh, Dr. Jordan Peterson was talking about is that we've seen that we don't really know what the rules are between men and women in the workplace because we've only been doing this for about 40 years now. Yeah. So, and he's, he did point out, which I don't think anyone would argue. It's like the, the, the relationship between men and women has deteriorated very rapidly in that time. Yeah. And I mean, you could, you could say, especially well, post-World War II, it's correlation and, and not necessarily causation, but you know, you can't just ignore that. You have to look at it and say like, well, can, can on mass, is it, sustainable because like you said men and women are very different we can talk all day about how like we're all the same but we're not i mean you look at the prison systems it's like the that one of the reasons that that woman i'm sure wasn't uh they didn't take that seriously is because they saw like well all the people that are on that vast like super aggressive violent criminal activity level are almost completely men yeah you know and that's that is how it works out but that's not to say that there aren't you know there's other ways of being a criminal. You know what I mean? And then there are outliers who are, you know, maybe just like her, who's maybe she was just super aggressive and, and, you know, was, was just kind of a, a, a very unusual case. Yeah. That is a wild story, you know, but then too, I will say this, you hear a lot more of these stories more and more. And there's one in the media that I keep hearing about. Uh, and I don't know, I think it was in Arkansas, but like female teachers, like, well, that's all over having the place. sex with their students and, and yeah, like young, the, like young teachers the and young they're married. Female stu- and so here's the thing: it's like, can those? Is it feasible to expect since this keeps happening over and over and over again? The 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 young men that are put in that situation, it's like, how many do you know that would be able to deal with that? Zero. Uh, yeah. You know, it's like if I if I were the kid in that situation, it's like, you, you raging hormones. You, you know, this is an this is an older person. You know, so there's a certain amount of respect that you give to them. There's just there's a lot of uh, abuse of position going on with that, and I, you start to wonder: is like, is it how 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 are we going to set it up so that it's not that way? I don't know how you can. I don't know how you can. I don't know yeah. because that dynamic. I mean, it's as it's as old as people are. You know, there's always been that tension between the sexes and, you know, trying to, I mean, the the debate now talking about how we're going to make it, you know, illegal for a man to make a woman uncomfortable. I mean, that's like, well, how, who's deciding that? What, what, yeah, who's, what are who's the social, what the like it's, re, it's really are. rewriting social norms, Yeah, you know, in a big way. Uh, and that's, uh, that. I mean, man, revolutions were started on those types of ideas. Right. Well, here's the thing: like, <coughs> if you're at work and a coworker asks you out on a date, and you didn't particularly want them to ask you out on a date, that's not sexual assault. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Now, if they take it further and they're harassing you or something like that, that's a different issue. But they're wanting to make it to where it's just like maybe any any uh, comment that they would think is is unbecoming. Yeah. And that's sexual assault. You have to fire that person. You know, it's like that is a that reminds me what it's like uh, what was going on in the Soviet Union. It's like you had to be careful what you said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here's a here's a weird situation that's popping into my head, and like I'm just like, because I was always just like, I mean, it's flattering or whatever, but you're just like, eh. uh, so there's this place that I do regular business at. I'm not even gonna say t- what type of business it is, but and um, I would go in there and deal with different people when I would go in there to do business um, on the regular basis, like a place where you do business for your business. And uh, there would be this um, one person there that would be like, hey, you know, this other girl over here, she thinks you're really cute and um, blah, 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 blah. And I'd be like, yes, um, I love Cora very much because Cora and I wasn't, <laughs> weren't married at that time, you know. Right, right, right. So, and, and two, it was almost like, um, I don't, I'm not going to say like there was this like, she thought that since I wasn't married that I was like still up for grabs or something. Right. But it was just like, it, it wasn't a super persistent thing, but it was like a few times it was brought up and I was just like, man, like, A, like, you know, I'm not saying like I was considering leaving Cora for this other person and he stretched the means, but it's like that, like just, it happens periodically throughout life. I think people are approaching like, it's like temptation to like, and it's like, I don't know, you know, that's probably what people are like. They make decisions and then they regret them the next day or like as soon as they get done having sex with that person or right. whatever. Yeah. Cause there's that, like a lot of, I, I remember I was uh, listening to um, somebody on Joe Rogan and they were talking about um, something. It was like having a sexual experience or watching porn or something. It's like, and then you feel immediately guilty afterwards. Like, Oh, I'm so dirty, you know? Right, and it's, right. uh, and I'm like, yeah, there's that. And then like, so if there is that, then how much of that it goes on to where it's like, well, let's say that's the next morning when you wake up mm-hmm. and both people were drunk and it was consensual as all get out, right. you know? And it's like that too. Um, like the notion too, I feel like um, universe and the, I'm not trying to make any generalizations about this, but it's like I was saying with the sexual, like this lady, it's like, well, of course, women are capable of um, the same sorts of um, manipulation, manipulations, whatever you want to call it, harassments. Yeah. But uh, and that's that comes with this, you know. Yeah. You don't get to just do it one way. And that's the thing that they don't, you know. Again, that's the victim hierarchy. It's like all these women are being oppressed by men, and we've heard that for a long time, but it's really caught in fire now because it's it's this Me Too movement. And that's what's terrible about it. Is that Hashtag movements, bro. Boy. Hashtag revolution. And there are a lot of horrible things that need to be uh, unveiled, let's say. Let's, let's see what these people in positions of power have been, how they've been abusing it. Yes. But let's not, like uh, Corey Feldman, for instance, blowing the whistle on what was going on with the young actors in Hollywood, and no one cares. Sandy was in a movie as Corey Haim. 
Holy shit. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Small world. Yeah. I did like Sandy so funny about it. I went to the coffee house this morning. So like, uh, when I say Sandy, that's our last guest, Michael Sandow, AKA Sandy two sticks. And he like walks in from the back and Blake was in there too, Balake. And he was like, I'm like, Hey, what's up? Corey and I are both there. He's like, what's up, man? He's like, Oh, you know, just doing some podcasting in the back. I was like, what the hell, dude? He was all the time telling me that you were like on his case to get that podcast done for like, of two months or whatever yeah yeah dude i'm like bro you i just i need you on and I that's the thing on. is that he's like uh sandy's really good at talking but like any like traditional like what, what, it's any, almost any like organized anything, format yeah. like kind of like makes him nervous i have a, i have a buddy like that and two like i think that um every episode so i got that five podcast a week goal and like everyone gets better yeah the only like last night like two we only had we have four people in here we only had three mics and um, we like we were able to compensate for the headphones with like uh, just rigging some stuff up. But that's why like I'm eventually going to need a four person setup in here and a right. totally mobile setup because I want to be able to do stuff at the gym. I'm doing these vlogs and stuff like that. Yeah, I would say four is about like the max. Like two is good, three is really good, four can be a little much sometimes, but you can still manage it. You know, that's a lot of yeah. So see, like too. So um, some of the stuff that I'm doing with like um, if I can if I do five a week, let's say I do three guests a week. So I'm trying to do this MMA show just about every Friday, um, and it's been it's been super fun and super educational too because it keeps keeps me really current mm -hmm. with what's going on and um, keeps me studying and keeps me thinking about things and. Uh, Man, it's just there's so there's so many things I could be talking about with like the history and like either you know stuff stuff like with the vlog I'm doing on the gym channel like training with uh, I did the first one training with Jack and the second one on training with Hickson. What uh, real quick Sedgway, what did you think about uh, training with Jack Topper? That was pretty great. Yeah, dude, that private lesson was. Uh, yeah, he's uh, he's like. Uh, completely focused in his approach that's yes. like he was like it's a certain method yeah it's like a certain method of teaching the art yeah because you know I'd, I'd worked with you a lot and you've got you know outstanding details and i've learned a ton from just doing privates with you and and coming into this you know pretty green and everything so to have a high level guy to train with on the regular has been pretty awesome but you know you go with a guy like jack and he's a he's a hickson black belt and he's been doing this for how long um so uh, oh, man he shared like he's been he i think he started doing it like mid 90s he was just like uh like a young punk skateboarding teenager type yeah and started with pedro sour and then um moved on and uh, eventually trained a little bit with uh solo and john giabero but then ended up getting his white belt from dave Kama, who is hickson's second american white belt and then since hickson's moved back his trained, I mean, I would say extensively. Jack's a real humble dude. He would probably be like, oh, you know, I'm trained a little bit. But he's done several. Maybe, like, I feel like he's done four or five privates with him. And um, probably, I mean, he did class two times a week for several weeks and then one time a week for several weeks. So he's had a lot of time on the mat yeah, with it himself. It was one of those things is like I've when we got into it, I was like, man, I wish I could just and maybe be a here dozen hicks and seminars. You know what I mean? Like, I wish I could just do this for like this whole day. I know, dude. I know. I want to go to California and train with Jack. 
Like uh, I'm thinking about it real seriously. To, the, and to I'll, their school. Yeah. Um, and Jack, dude, Jack is totally down to come in two times a year. Um, and uh, we may uh, we may have him back in in the next, uh, you know, eight, 10, 12 months. I watched his uh, racist Uber driver. That's video. so funny, right? <laughs> what the hell? Man, that woman was angry. Oh, hell no. Um, yeah, that was wild. But man, I, I was just showing Coro some of that Valley Tudo guard that uh, that he was uh, showing to us. Because yeah. he showed a side mount escape, and I was talking to him on the phone the other day, and I was like, dude, that side mount escape you showed with the overhook and using your hip pendulum, I was like, that is like, um, you can go to that value too. He's like, yes, that is correct. But man, he showed a lot of good stuff on side mount escapes. We've been like, we've been working a lot of side mount mm -hmm. escapes. And I was just like, you getting to be around that high level person, it changes your game, it changes your approach. And it's very humbling. Yeah, I could tell I, that was a, it was a, a market difference for me. Did you picked up on that mount super fast. The mount was like, that was like finding gold. Yeah. Yeah. I know. And two, so like that bottom detail on the stiff arm. Yeah. See, that won't work if they, if you do the perfect mm -hmm. mount. Don't mm -hmm. sit on me, bro. I'm yeah. on a couch. Yeah. You're just like glued to the rib cage. Yeah. And the more they struggle, the worse it gets. You know? Well, what's crazy too is I've heard Henry Akins explain that in a painfully grueling 25 minute <laughs> explanation. I mean, it wasn't painful, but like I just couldn't. It's a little vanilla. It, because, well, I mean, here's the thing. That stuff is so, like, you. Yeah, if I would have been on bottom I would, or been sitting right there right. or, you know, been in the mix, I might could have um, picked up more. But it's just like even the trained eye on that Hicks and stuff and Jack and anything I've learned from those guys or seen Henry Aiken's show, because, like, those are the three sources that are putting it from. I did uh, March 12th, I think it is, that Hickson's self-defense unit comes out. I cannot wait. Can't wait. Already yeah. got the gear. That'll be the curriculum for a year. Yeah. Dude, you know, I'm up to a ton of Hickson techniques, man, and Jack techniques. Like, And it's just become a central part of what I do. Because, like, a lot of it's just so related to having good posture, mm -hmm. which is such, like, good details for physical fitness, exercise of any kind. You know, right. like, that's uh, – I've been telling people it's, like, that's why they ha uh, have a military standard of posture is because, like, when you're in the heat of battle – and your body's wanting to give up, you you know, you need a posture so yeah. you can breathe, mm -hmm. so you can, you know, just like forcing your body into a posture is... Yeah, you've done it so much, you don't have to think about it anymore, you know, that's and that's the need. thing, it's like that where you want to get, where it's like you're putting yourself in the right position without really having to think about it, it's kind of automatic for you. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that's... um. Yeah, which is when I f if I feel like I really understand the technique and I've got it ingrained and I have the pathway set like that, it'll happen without me having to think about it. It's so crazy, too, like with the, the right posture, so many things that people try, if you know, the winds of, you know, where to put your base. And like, that's the biggest thing, too, like the standing base and distribution of weight. Like I've done enough of their stand up stuff now. I feel like I have a pretty good command on how to teach grapplers stand up for judo and jiu-jitsu that don't do striking mm -hmm. you know like that's a big thing too and like i don't do it like tra traditional sort of wrestlers do it because um i don't like believe in breaking my posture forward like that so right. like i stand more vertical but the way hickson does a sprawl and the way i learned to do a sprawl from training there it's next level yeah. like it's yeah. just like that's the way to sprawl 
But, um, yeah, man. And McMillan, you know, McMillan got some good details in this guy's trained a lot with um, Hickson named Johnny Lee Smith, and that's the coach of Daniel O'Brien. I think Daniel O'Brien's a guy with the long hair that's yeah, yeah. done yeah, the yeah. jiu-jitsu turn of the spine folded. Yeah. Compete in EBI and stuff. So, yeah. Is he the one that walked out, arms up? Yeah. Turned around? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, just like, like kick my kick yeah, style. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was, uh, and that was an ADCC match. I believe he uh, submitted the uh, Pan American champion, the current Pan American champion, uh, Nogi IBJJF. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. Legend. So, uh, so who would you say your favorite grappler is since you've been doing jiu-jitsu? Well, I'd have to think about that. I really, really like uh, Damian Maya. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. like Damian Maya a lot. Uh, I'd have to dig for it, but I have his science of jiu-jitsu series somewhere. Oh, really? You'd probably love to see. Is it, it. like is it a book or is Did, it a it's a digital um, video series? Cool. Yeah. Like like two hours of him teaching like side mount escapes and yeah. all sorts. I've had it for a long time. It's on an external hard drive. You're welcome to uh, take that hard drive with you. And I've actually got, dude, I've got two full external hard drives full of like, martial yeah. arts and jujitsu documentaries. Nice. And, uh, Lovato's another guy. Yeah. Oh yeah. Love really Lovato. love Lovato. Yeah. Did um too like I need a I need to look into that because I need to find his Kimura Secrets DVD for yeah, you. Yeah. That's a really good one. Um, also, I think I, I got like all of it over man. there. I, like I, I need to get lo loan you that Alan Belcher DVD series. Yeah, it's good. I need to watch it again myself and then rip it onto my rip it digital. So, because I, I had digital access and then he didn't renew his website. I guess he thought people. You told me about that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I'm like, dude, you never sent me these until you begin with. But I signed up for the package where you're supposed to, and I had this login, which no longer works because you didn't renew your website. And you said it would be good for 99 years, but it wasn't. So come on my podcast and send me these DVDs <laughs> and teach a seminar at my school. Come and sign we'll, some stuff for me. We'll call it good. Yeah, yeah Alan Belcher has won like $300,000 in UFC bonuses. For just like getting fight of the night. Yeah, or, stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that Paul Harris fight was fighter than I. It might not have been Paul Harris. Paul Harris. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, <clears throat> what uh, what else? Have we, okay, so I wanted to ask you about this. So we talked about this last year during the election, and I've always kind of um, kept it in the back of my mind with some stuff. So it's been exp it's been brought to um, the forefront, and I would say proven by various people that there have been people, factions, billionaires at various times that have paid people to protest. Yes. And this has happened since um, unions in the early, yeah. earlier, like early 20th century, right? But so you are an entrepreneur and uh, you were in the sign business, so you make yard signs, digital signs. You, you do a lot of different right. beautiful work. So um, <clears throat> right after Trump got elected, there was a lot of these counter marches, mm -hmm. right? And I'm not, not being pro-Trump or anti-Trump on the podcast really at all. I'm not even trying to get into that. Like, I did not vote for Trump, but um, I'm not trying to, like, take political sides. But... What I saw is like right after he was elected, all of these crazy, like literally the day after, like a mass amount, mm -hmm. 
thousands, tens of thousands, maybe twenties of thousands of these signs that these people were holding that were like produced. Right. And those all have to already be made. Yeah, that I know, right? Here's, so, like, and I remember talking to you about that. So, yeah. what's your take on all so, that? So, I, I recognize that right away. I saw it was the next day. So, you know, like. Most people wouldn't think about that. I'm just going to say, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, most people didn't. But when I saw that, I was like, hold on. I know what it takes to make what those people are holding. And I also am noticing that all those people have the exact same sign. Those are professionally made. So let's say a bunch of people were making them. Somebody's got to pay all those people. A bunch Someone of people are making paid all them. those people. Or let's say a bunch of people like you get tr- contracted. Let's say, let's say somebody contacted you, who just like you know, like we're kind of small town America, right? Uh, and they say, hey, Michael, I need a hundred yard signs. Can you get that to me um, by tomorrow? Yeah, is that possible? For you just doing it at your shop. If someone wanted a hundred by tomorrow, like, could you make it happen? If no. you absolutely like, no. you know, you need no, a if they, if you they were a big enough, you know, if the, if it's a big, big enough printing company, then they could handle that. I'm, I'm sure, no problem. But you're going to need but, multiple employees, big yeah, setup, yeah, lots of stuff have, on hand. You're going to have to have, which is running an expensive operation. So you exactly. have to either own those operations outright, or you have to pay people. And so I, whether it's paid protesters or paid printing for just in case, yeah. who's paying for that? You know, exactly. that's one thing I have always wondered. And there's like all these conspiracies out there. Because it has to George be Soros a shit. certain amount of it has to be centralized if it's all the same. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like you're not telling me that all these people came up with the same design because they didn't. You know, it's like this was this was preplanned. The the the. The thing that got me was that I noticed, uh, you know, in the media, the mainstream media, for instance, like Trump didn't have a chance. It was, it was not even, it was not even going to be close. Dude, it blows my mind that he won. But here's the thing: this is what I and I kept following it, and I was like, look, every time that he has a rally, every time he goes anywhere, it's like the Rolling Stones playing in Rio. It's like the, there's a sea of people out there that are coming to his rallies, and then, you know, you look at. Uh, that, and that was the that was the thing where you you I started to wonder. It's like, is, is it possible that because the media is so skewed that the polling is different because of that influence, or is it the way that they're doing the polling? Yeah, well, is it the I've people kinda, they're talking I've to. I've kind of thought like, about it like this: like it's almost like there's. Um, and I may be describing this in incorrect terms, but it's almost like there's a big lobby in the media. Like there's there's a lot of just like in Washington, there's a lot. It seems to be a lot of paid influence, and there's all these discussions. And I don't know the the history of who owns what New York Times, who owns what paper, and what right. family they're connected to, or getting into any of that. But. Um, <clears throat> There does seem to be special interest groups that lobby factions of the media, whether that be on news channels, social media, print media, and that too. There's just there's this um, there's this mad need it seems like for like content providers and content creators, and there's not enough time to curate. It's almost like a law or a bill in Congress. It's like the number of pages and committees and all the things that goes through, it's like really there's things that make it in there that it, neither party catch all the time, but just by virtue of the mm-hmm. way it's set up. And it's like, 
And for the most part, the people there, the representatives aren't that interested in it anyway. You know, it's like for the majority of them, like their job is to get reelected. That's their job. And then, you know, they they have their, their projects that they're working on. And so if there's things that are in these bills that aren't, you know, that relevant to them, I don't, I don't think that they worry too much about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, man. Crazy times to be alive. <laughs> right? Yeah. 2016 was mental. Yeah. It really was. Yeah. Yeah. And then we've had a whole year of it now. Um, and two, what's crazy is like during that time um, in the last. So I got married. Like Corey and I got married. And then um, I turned 30 and she turned 25. So like our car insurance keeps going down, but my health insurance has gone up like 300%. Really? Oh, yeah, dude. Wow. We're totally swapping some stuff around and uh, once uh, we can for this year. But uh, it's insane, man. It's totally insane. And uh, it's, um, yeah, it's a super interesting time to be alive. It's a, like there's all this great technology, but there's also all, like more fear and paranoia than maybe ever before. Like historically speaking, I've been talking about this for a while, and I, you may not, may or may not be. I'm sure you are familiar with the, the versions of history or interpretation of history called the first and second Red Scare, mm-hmm. a, a communist fear. Yeah, it's like with Putin um, showing this uh, new nuclear right. missile that you know it's 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 a lot of fear mongering, a lot of propaganda is going on, and it's the ways in which it can like cyber warfares and like cyber bullying inversely so in society it's creating all, all all of this globalization and new technology and new media is creating new social norms like we said right. and new problems it's like um it's it's a wild evolution of um, well for instance we we have no idea what the effect on this generation is going to be the ones that grew up with this technology it's like you and I grew up in a in a time that is very very Dude different. I had a flip phone yeah. Now yeah. I have this huge ass TV. Yeah. You have <laughs> This you, is a TV, you, dude. You've got a supercomputer. My first portable DVD player was like this size. Yeah. And it skipped. I yeah. couldn't watch it going down the road and I was super mad. And so, you know, with with social media really taking off in the past what, 5 years, something like that, where social media has really really yeah. been ingrained yeah. into the society. It's like uh it becomes it, something that we don't we don't know how to measure its effect and it, you and i talked about before the 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 rise in antidepressants for instance and how normalized yes. that's been and then the 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 issuance of of you know like extremely powerful narcotics opiates yeah and and then you look well, at and then so like on the antidepressants where i don't know if this is you and i talking about this the other morning but um there's a lady that was on joe and kelly brogan but she said that like People get it on an antidepressant and almost always get issued some sort of like antipsychotic or other form of right. uh, chemical because patch because of the side effects yeah. of the first medic- medication. It's like, man, you know, I th- I I noticed that people like clinical psychologists will tell you that, you know, it's a it's a very tiny portion of the population that have actual mental illness. Most of it is emotional trauma that they just have not reconciled and haven't haven't figured out how to make peace with and so just giving someone pills that you're not solving anything you're you're in a lot and that's not to say that there's not a a time for it but you know i look at it as almost like 
you know, if you have a, a drug addict, for instance, you know, you might need to give them a synthetic version of what they're addicted to in order to bring them down. But, you know, it's measured and it's and it's you're you're doing it in a in a, a calculated way in order to get them off of it. But to me, it seems like the way that uh, pharmaceuticals with doctors have kind of lined up, it's like, well, you get money if you issue these prescriptions. And, yeah. you know, the doctors see, hey, well, there's an immediate improvement, but, you know, it's it's short. It's not a it's not a long term solution. You know, you, I think you had mentioned it's it's uh, someone had put it to you that like putting a Band-Aid on a on a piece of glass you had stepped on in your foot. Oh, yeah. yeah you know yeah, what I mean? I it's do like, remember that. Well, analogy. maybe it soaks up a little of the blood and hides what was happening a little bit but you can't that's not a solution you, you have to deal with the problem man too so like and i know it's different for everybody and i know that it may even work for some people but some uh somebody i knew that was on antidepressants for a period of time described it to me in this way he said it puts you in a cage no one can see yeah you know like you were saying like when you're intermittent fasting and you drink like brendan schwab said he felt the same way that's why he was oh, really? throwing up and pooping his pants on Joe Rogan recently. But you drank too much coffee before you've got a lot of food in your system, or maybe you had a lighter meal before you went to bed last night, and your body's uh -huh. kind of in that fat-burning mode. And you drank a you know, cup of coffee or a couple of small cups of coffee. You start feeling a little jittery, paranoia. Like, imagine that times, like, 100. Yeah. Is how I feel like, you know, it's like some people get really tipped off by like caffeine and stuff causes anxiety and panic and mm -hmm. uh, sensitive to it. Core is super sensitive to caffeine. Like she, yeah. it has to be like diluted yeah. to a certain amount. Like she usually gets like, she gets like a big coffee with like only one shot or something. Mm -hmm. She doesn't do a lot of caffeine in general. Yeah. Well, uh, dude, we'll have to, um, we'll have to have you on for like a jujitsu unraveled spot. We should watch them. Sure. Watch. I, you know, like I've been doing this. Like Josh Wendell and I are going to do this. Uh, hopefully this Friday. He's coming on. Comes on my MMA show all the time. Uh, but we're going to watch ten John Jones fights. Let me let me tell you which ones real quick. I'll tell the audience too. And this is this is open. Okay, so starting with before he's champion, Bonner and Hamill. Hamill's the one where he gets DQ'd. I saw that one. Right. Yeah. So then we're going to go. He where he wins the title from Hua. TKO's and uh, Machida. Saw the Machida one. Vitor Belfort. Saw that one. Shale Sonnen. Saw that one. Rashad. Rashad Evans. What, what happened in the Rashad? Five-round decision. Yeah. Gustafson, okay. five-round decision. And Cormier won, five-round decision. Yeah. So those will be some longer fights to watch, but then we're going to watch Cormier too. So we'll do um, 10 John Jones fights uh, and kind of break those down on the podcast. I did that with BJ Penn. We yeah, did BJ Penn's yeah. last 10 fights. Super That's, depressing. I was about to say that would be really sad, actually. Well, it's sad now because John Jones is going to be fighting for quite some time. Yeah. At least another year. Yeah. As for, from what it looks like. Because they said it was a year from that hearing date minimum before he could, because his license is revoked one year from that hearing time. He's still And then he has to go right? through the Yasada. I mean, he's like 28, 29 years old. Something oh, he's like that. a little older than I thought. Yeah, and I mean, USADA might ban him for like up to eight years or something. Oh, wow. Yeah, uh, this uh, California State Athletic Commission could have issued him a lifetime ban, apparently. Crazy. Did you watch the hearing at all? I watched the whole thing, and it was, uh, we uh, we talked about it uh, yesterday, uh, or uh, Friday on the MMA show. I would really have liked to have seen 
Yoel Romero and John Dude, Jones he has, together. Yo, uh, yeah. Uh, what is he? He's a middleweight, but uh, Yoel is uh, on like a five fight losing streak or something, right? No, no. He just destroyed uh, Let me see. Uh, Rockhold, Luke Rockhold. Up in uh, light yeah. heavyweight, right? I think he's a middleweight. Maybe. Yeah. He could, well, I don't know. I haven't really followed him. He fought when I was in Vegas. Um, and I saw him fight when I was in Vegas. <coughs> I've just never really been a fan. Cuban judo guy, right? Olympian. Uh, um, yeah, he just he did just beat Luke Rockhold. Who was it that I was thinking? He fought that? Weidman. He fought Chris Weidman. Mm-hmm. Who was it I was thinking that we were talking about last night? <coughs> Big, yoked out dude that hasn't won a fight in a while that was like, well, let me look. Because he fought Jake Shields back in the day. Oh, I think I know who you're talking about. <coughs> <coughs> I don't know his name, though. Mm, I'm going to find out. Can't believe I'm spacing. And well, hmm. Hector Lombard. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. No. I guess they don't really look alike. They're both super. No, but Yoel, both super. Joel Romero. They call him Soldier <laughs> of God. Yeah. 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 He he like he just almost killed. Uh, Weidman with a knee. Weidman was kind of like going in for a shot. And he yeah, just Weidman's kind of been on the downfall, man. Split him open. It was pretty brutal. Let's take a look at Chris Weidman's record real quick. Mm. You know, and it, he's getting on up there in his career. It's like Frankie last night getting finished, man. It's because I kept talking about this on the podcast before and the leading up to the fight is like, Anytime somebody's been through a certain number of minutes in the octagon, certain number of decisions, certain number of wars, taking a certain amount of damage in the octagon, and then in practice on top of that, you know, it's um, <clears throat> you have to uh, you have to be raising some concerns. So yeah. like Weidman lost three in a row: Rockhold, Ramiro, and Musasi, and then one on uh, Kelvin Gastelum with an arm triangle choke back in July twenty second, twenty seventeen. So. Yeah, well, uh, man, you wanna uh, you wanna give any plugs or anything before we wrap it on up here, dude? Uh, I mean, if people want to see some of the sign work I've done, Lasseter signs, get the Facebook page. Right on. Yeah. Look at some of that stuff. Yeah, definitely. Um, <clears throat> we do have a, a good local listenership. I get listens from all over the world. It's kind of weird. I guess that's just how you the just algorithms have it pop work. Up, like random places. Yeah, I get I get listens in Europe and stuff. I get stuff like that, likes on on the on the Facebook for for things that I've made from people just like like in India or, or like yeah. We who knows like we could like open up online stores and start selling some <laughs> things like we're just like missing out. Yeah, like people be like, we will just pay if you send it to us big time. And that actually be George Soros. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like, hey, I need you to do these hundred signs <laughs> by tomorrow yeah. morning yeah, at five a.m. <laughs> Man, well, dude, thanks for coming on. Hopefully, we can have you back on um, one of these days, and uh, maybe there'll be some crazy um, Jordan Peterson drama well, we can I'll, dig I'll into. I guarantee you, there will always be something crazy going yeah. on. We should do one. Um, we sh- uh, <clears throat> over uh, some of the, some of the stuff's going on with Peterson and. Uh, 
I meant to bring up some of that, but we'll we'll save for another time about like YouTube and well, Google. That's a huge and topic. It is. We it really is. We'll we'll plan it for plan it on for another time. All right, real quick, some people I'm going to be having on the podcast. I'm going to do a little plug for people listening. Uh, I'm going to be having the owner of Valley Piano on uh, soon, Brian Chenoweth, Aaron MacArthur, uh, All-American wrestler and uh, oral uh, historian, uh, runs a museum at Arkansas Tech. Uh, Michael Lassiter, you are already on, and you're going to come back. Josh McMillan's on Friday. I'm having a guy, uh, Ryan Peden, on, I think, this coming weekend. i got to confirm with him, but it's looking like we're going to do the weekend. He walked from, like, England to Israel or something crazy. He's uh, he's done uh, done a lot of traveling. He's been through seminary and a bunch of bunch of crazy stuff. So he's coming on. Um, we did the fight companion Brent, who I'm filming with at the gym. Brent Rhodes, 20 years military, uh, stationed in Germany for years. He's coming on. We're gonna do our first boxing unraveled episode on Tuesday. We're gonna watch like Mike Tyson's run to the title. Oh wow! So. Um, I'm going to have Josiah on since I figure he can't do anything since he just wrecked his motorcycle. I figure he can come sit in here for like three hours and I can like make him feel better. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> so I was like, I was messaging him. I'm like, dude, you should just come over and be on the podcast for like three hours. If you're bored, don't go sit at work. Yeah. But, uh, anyway, uh, Jesse Weiss is, uh, I'm going to have him come back on. He's been like 21 national parks. He was my first guest and, um, he is, uh, about to start filming a documentary on the Buffalo River uh, over spring you told break. Me about he's filming that? it all yeah. on his cell phone. Really? So yeah, he's he's putting he's got a, he's been working on it, thinking about it for a while. So Aaron Morris with the craft beer episode. Uh, Nick Oots is going to come on. Uh, I'm having Michael Booty back on uh, Friday, I think, in the later afternoon because he just went and saw the Abbott Brothers in Tulsa. He's done two of the music unraveled with me. We did. Uh, Drive-by truckers and Todd Snyder, he's coming back on. Um, we're going to do a widespread panic, music unraveled, and then uh, I'm going to have another local guy, the guy that does some of my work around the house, Ryan White. Uh, he's, uh, like, kind of um, super interested in, like, flooding, like the Great Flood and stuff wow. like that that's happened, not, like, um, globally, but yeah, yeah, locally. But he's an interesting dude. He's got a, a, a history on, like, Arkansas floods and like local floods in the River Valley and Pope County and 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 locally so interesting but that's some stuff we're going to be doing on the podcast I got some solo stuff I'm putting out too the history and reviews of this and that and vlogs on our on our gym page for some martial arts and fitness Russellville a lot of words in that name ones which some people always pronounce as Forca yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and to, I and to, well, here's, you here's, train down there at the at the here, Here's the that. You here's the when people call. Yeah, South American yeah. ground karate. Yeah, yeah. When people call, they're like, "Hey, you know, I know I'm probably gonna pronounce this wrong," and I'm like, "Well, just pronounce it the way you think it's not pronounced." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're like, "Uh, Forca," <laughs> and I'm like, "Forza, force with an A." Yeah. Portuguese for strength, but um, it's actually if you want because of the little accent on the C, it's. It's more of a shh sound, oh, okay. Forsha. 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 I actually like that better. Yeah, it does. It kind of kind of makes me kind of makes me sound like Mackenzie Dern. <laughs> we have gone full circle. <laughs> All right. Yes. Excellent. Signing We'd off, love dude. To see it. All right. Thanks for coming on, bro. <laughs> no problem.